Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to Talking CFD with Robin Knowles. It's kind of like my show, but for CFD nerds, prepare to ignite. Hey there, podcast family. Welcome to another episode of Talking CFD, the podcast that's more about growing a business than growing a boundary layer. Now, as you've probably noticed, I take a little bit too much interest in what's going on at the open foam end of the CFD pool. And that usually means that I'm perhaps not as up to speed as I should be with what's going on elsewhere. But it does seem to also end up with me coming across some pretty interesting projects and codes and companies and the like, and some really interesting technology and innovation along the way. But it's not every day that I come across a company that's both an open foam based product and the quality fit and finish that we've come to expect from established commercial tools. We've met one already this season, but in this case, I'm talking about a code called Helix from a company called Engis. And today I'm joined by one of the founders of the company, Eugene de Villiers. We chat a bit about Helix, but also about the evolution of the company and get a bit of first-hand open foam history along the way. It's a pretty light-hearted discussion. There's plenty of interesting nuggets in there, even if you aren't doing something open foamy. That's enough from me. I'll hand over to Eugene for a description of what Engis looks like today. I guess this will sound canned no matter how I say it, but um, yeah, we're, we're an independent CFD products and services company. That's a nutshell, right? The, the, the difference being that we have this um, focus on delivering a professional um, open source based CFD product. So that, that's you know, just to, to really distill it down to its basics. Is, uh, you know, we, we're, we're working in open source, but at the same time, we want people to be able to access a product that um, you know has the professional aspects and the usability and uh, uh, and so forth that you expect from CCM Plus or Fluent or something like that. So that's really that's really what the company is about, um, what the product is about, um, you know, and, and what we're aiming to do. I mean, we're about twenty people now, um, and of those twenty-seven are partners, and you know, soon it'll be eight partners in the company, um, and that's that really says something about you know, who we are and, and uh, you know, what kind of environment we're trying to work in. And we you know, want to engage with our employees and make them part of you know, the ownership team, if you know, not just employees, but partners. We've gone through a lots, of, lots of paths and, and routes along the way, but uh, you know, I think we're, we're pretty clear on what we're trying to achieve right now. Did you start out as a products and services company or were you more of like a consultancy in the beginning? Uh, well, yeah, definitely more a consultancy in the beginning. You know, we, we had a clear idea. Okay, we wanted we we always had this because we'd worked in a in a similar company previously, but we had you know different emphasis that we wanted to do. We knew that we wanted to create a product, um, you know, just to 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 have that scalability and and always there's, there's nothing like wasn't anything like that on the market at the time. You had various people delivering services, um, delivering support, uh, but that really only. Uh, you know, aims at a very small part of of the potential market, the people who are willing to edit text files. Um, not that our clients aren't. It's just that um, you know we we really want to take it to the next level. Um, that that that's always been there. What was the sort of founding team like? Was it you and, and a couple of others, or yeah, uh, it was um, myself um, and Francisco Campos, uh, Thomas Schumacher, and Andrew Jackson. So we were four guys. We worked together at Icon before, um, you know, and we've been there for uh, I was there for five years or something. Um, you know, we, we worked on open foam. We contributed to uh, the core in the form of, of snappy hex mesh mostly. So we worked with um, you know the guys at uh, OpenCFT at that time um, through the VW contract, and that's really where open foam got its you know introduction to the to the main stage, if you will. 
Um, you know, and then and we kind of had a difference of opinion and direction and participation, and you know, we went our own way. And so it was the four of us uh, started out around 2010. Um, and uh, you know, basically, uh, we had a plan, but I think we didn't have much of a clue. <laughs> so um, you know, we uh, we had our business plan. We we'd done the the SWOT analysis and all all the things you're supposed to do. Um, but uh, you know, it was it was really hard. You know, the meeting realities. You know, we started with some cash in the bank, but not not any clients. Uh, so it was a it was quite a ride the first year. So what scrapping to get customers, that sort of thing. Scrapping to get customers. You know, just just getting by. So uh, part of our part of our um, leaving the previous company, we had uh, um, non compete clauses where we you know, couldn't take any of our previous customers. So we literally had to you know, start building marketing, going to people, sales, and um, building uh, a body of material uh, to show what we can do and what we can sell. So yes, everything from scratch, um, you know, just like anybody else, basically, I guess. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, certainly the bit about having a plan and not having a clue rings a bell with me. Uh, I'm still not sure I've got a clue, but uh, I'm, in fact, I can't even tell me where my plan is. But uh. yeah, I mean, we've 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 um, improved our our planning a bit since then. But yeah, I mean, I think if you if you if you say that you had everything planned out and you were you know 100 uh, percent you know fixed in in your vision at the beginning of of an endeavor like this, then you know, you're you're a pretty unique individual, I think. Was Icon your kind of first exposure to open foam, or do, I mean, do you and open foam go way back? Do you, do you go back as far as before it was open, for example? Yeah, you know, it's. Um, I actually, uh, I was I was in England on one of these working holiday visas. I don't know if you remember them for South Africans and Australians and Kiwis, um, uh, and I was just mucking around really, and um, I saw this ad on the Imperial College website for a, a doctorate position there, and. I, I applied, went for an interview, and, and I got it. You know, and it was it was fantastic. I remember walking before that, walking past Imperial and going, "This is this university. This is where David Gosman, uh, you know, is a lecturer." And I'd read some of his papers, and I thought it'd be amazing to study here. So it was it was kind of a dream come true at that point. Um, and that that's uh, when I you know, moved into the group. They were doing foam, and uh, well, that that lasted almost a decade, I guess. For, um, started around the early '90s, and then. Uh, more than 10 years before it folded but um, it was very exciting I mean it was C++ I didn't have a clue uh, about C++ so that took some getting used to um, I was being uh, you know being a Fortran uh, aficionado back in the day um, and uh, yeah while I was there the people started moving out Henry and, and Herb left uh, the group and started Napla it was trying to commercialize foam trying to make a product out of it um, um, and they were they were quite lucky, I think, in the sense that um, they got um, their seed funding from uh, Fluent. So uh, at, in those days, Fluent is still a structured code. They just based on tets and, and hexes, and uh, they engaged with um, Henry and Herve to you know to help them transition to a face-based framework, and uh, that, that allowed them to start Nabla and really um, get things rolling. And, and so when I finished at Imperial. Invited me to join them at Nabla, which you know, I was more than happy to do. Um, and for a year or so, we we carried on working um, on different things, uh, meshing and uh, GUIs and so on. But uh, in the end, you know, it, it just didn't work out. So. That was on what would have still been called Foam, was it? Yeah. How do we get from Foam and Nabla to Open Foam for those who are interested? So, I think uh, you know it all comes down to you know running a business, and, and uh, most businesses don't succeed right um, so they had this they had this quite large amount of seed uh, money from 
from Fluent, but um, you still need to, on an ongoing basis, they needed to, to get some revenue in, and they hired me on the on the basis that they would be getting some revenue from um, you know, a government department or government institution in Sweden, and that and that never came to pass. You know, that things got sticky there. Herv um, Herv Yasak is one of the co-founders or co-writers of the original firm. Um, he was working most of the time. In um, in the U.S. at Fluent headquarters, you know, helping to implement some of the um, the foam code into the Fluent uh, core, um, and Henry was ba- was back in Red Hill at his home office where you know he was working on foam most of the time, and for the few customers that there were, um, and really I think that that uh, these guys were really good friends when they started the company, um, but just this uh, you know this distance and um, you know the fact that everything went bad. It's like a marriage, really. Why do marriages break up? The number one answer is money. <laughs> I think <laughs> that ultimately, you know, no matter what the details are or how it actually came about, I mean, there are a lot, and I won't, I won't, um, I won't say any or share any of them here. Um, but I think, like. Like most things, that's really where it came down to, and you know, they really uh, that that friendship really turned sour, um, and uh, you know, that uh, things some things happened, and uh, um, foam or Nabla was wrapped up, and during the wrapping up of Nabla, I mean, at that point it looked like foam was doomed, right? So there was no future, and, and rather than just let it die, um, they decided to open source foam and create open foam um, and invest open foam in in open CFD. So the copyright was transferred from Nabla. Um, during the shutdown to OpenCFT, and then it was made open source. So, um, yeah, it's kind of uh, like a phoenix from the ashes, right? I mean, nobody expected OpenFirm to be successful. It was more of a question, you know, don't let it just die. You know, give it a chance to survive because it was a good code. And and during the, you know, when, we, when uh, they were shutting down Nabla, most of us had to you know, find alternative arrangements. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's how I joined Icon, really. Um, at the same time, it, phone went open and I think you know, it was a, it was in hindsight you know the best decision um, uh, and it's you know I think it's enriched uh, the CFD you know, kind of community enormously um, but of course that, that that splintering of open foam community started at the beginning of open foam um, you know, so it's uh, uh, both good and bad things came from the same um, kind of event. In the early days, you say so you were working on um, you were working on open foam at Icon and, and contributing back to to open CFD. Is that what you said? Yeah, well, mostly through the in the in the context of um, Snappy Hex Match. So I think there's a paper that we presented at the Milan workshop where we first um, you know, publicly showed off Snappy, and you know, so that that all happened in the context of a, um, a single project with the VW Group, where me and um, Andrew Jackson and Matthias Janssens from Open CFD. We're working on this measure really to replace um, power flow in the external aero context. I was talking to somebody the other day about about open foam and, and what have you, and I think snappy hex mesh was the thing for me that made open mm. foam really viable. As in, yep. I could go from CAD to results all within the same package. It sort of really yeah. turned the tables for me. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I concur. It's, it's it's not just that. It's not just that. It does so. You know, that is a measure. It's it's also a remarkably robust measure. You know, it's got its it's got its problems. Um, but the, the the when we started building this um, this tool, the the idea was when it's finished, you know, the geometry might not be perfect, but it will run every time. And okay, I don't know if it runs every time now, but it runs 
uh, most of the time, right? So you can rely, you can mesh reliably um, you know, with a solver like OpenWeaver Foam, which is very, very sensitive to uh, quality. You know, if you were, if it was CCM Plus, you could run on an inside-out cell, but you can't do that with OpenFoam. So we had to build a mesher that um, you know, guaranteed that quality. Uh, and, and that was the tricky part, I think. How closely do you follow all the open foam ins and outs these days? Well, yeah, we track we track everything, and we try to get the best together. And you know, we've got a bunch of our own stuff as well. I think we have about four thousand um, unique and modified files. But uh, yeah, we 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 try to get what we can from everywhere, whether it's in a in a official version from some big distributor or whether it's uh, you know some guy on his own which is to release something for everybody to share if it's got value if it's if it works well you know we w- we want to look at it you know and, and if and if uh, sometimes we contact the people who develop the stuff and try and work with them to you know, to improve things or make it more viable but certainly um yeah we, we don't we're not averse to including things from from other contributors of course we we put the copyright notices, we, we give uh, credits where credit's due. Yeah, absolutely. Is, is that getting more of a, a challenge, kind of the, the more versions of open foam and things that pop up? Is it, is it getting harder to, to track it, more of an effort, engineering effort, to, to keep abreast of you what's know, going you on? Know the, the, main, the main increase in difficulty really comes from um, Henry at uh, CFT Direct. I, I, I don't know what's happened, but they're, they're changing their APIs very quickly um, uh, and, uh, and their interfaces every release. And that really, I mean, it. I wouldn't say it's it, it. It stops anything. Of course, I know they do it with a reason because they you know, they they're going off the consistency and um, you know there, there's various goals that they they set for themselves and that's fine. The problem, of course, is if you're a customer um, and your case is running today and tomorrow it's not running, you don't you don't care whether an interface is more consistent across the whole platform and that that really makes things tricky you know um, uh, the other things are, are things are simple things like we implement um you know thermophysical models for incompressible and they try they do something similar and then you have to kind of merge it but yeah uh, yeah we, we we cherry pick what we what we think is best we upgrade when we think that's um that's warranted uh, it, it's no it's no easy formula and it's a hell of a lot of work um and as you say it's getting more difficult so we'll, we'll see how it goes it depends on you know our our rate of code generation versus what we benefits we get from upstream. So we'll, we'll see how things progress. We were talking in person recently at the the Open Phone Conference in in Wiesbaden, and I'm guessing you guys go to other non Open Phone conferences. When you talking to to people outside the Open Phone bubble, do they even really care that it's Open Phone, or do they are they just interested in what it does? I think they care. Um, it's it's odd, but but generally speaking, they do. Uh, you know, it's the people get engaged by um, by open source. It's not just the not just the money. I mean, the money is important. Um, a lot of guys switch to open phone based solutions because of the ridiculous scaling of proprietary products. Even if you look at things like power licenses and so on, they're still they're still very expensive. And if you want more than one person to use it, it goes up and up. So. Um, a lot of people start there, um, but most of them are familiar with OpenFirm. They know what open source means. Um, they're excited about the you know, possibility of seeing the code or, or, or changing the code or you know, just engaging on a, on a deeper level than, than you can with you know, the black box type approach. So, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's got value from a lot of perspectives. Do you think there's sometimes a, a conflation of open source and open foam if you like people sometimes think that 
open source CFD is open foam. You know, there's there's other open source packages that are completely unrelated to open foam. Do you um, see those gaining popularity, or is this is open foam just a juggernaut just steaming over everything? You can you can never you, know, you can't predict these kind of things. But you, you know, the first um, this kind of first mover or first uh, entrant to the market advantage is huge. You know, it's open foam. Um, was first um, you know, it's extremely in terms of c++ it's extremely well written it's better better written than any other open source code i've looked at you know, su2 is not a patch on the quality of um, you know c++ usage uh, you know the other ones um, that are good let's say um, the one from edf was it code saturn saturn yeah, that's in French, so it's, you know, the the the, num- the 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 audience is a bit smaller, so the comments are in French. So this makes it more difficult. So I think because OpenFirm was first, because its quality generally is high, the quality of the coding is very high. Um, it'd be very difficult to displace. I think if anything, it would be something like GPU. If your GPUs become ubiquitous and there's um, there's no movement from you know the, any developers in the OpenFirm ecosystem to port. Uh, or create a GPU-based solution that might be the. But I, I don't know if we're close to that. You know, it's it's not GPUs. You know, we're really exciting, but they don't seem to have had the impact that people expected them to have. So, yeah, I, at the moment, I don't see where what you know what would displace it. Um, certainly, there are lots of other good projects, but this one is so mature. It's got everything. It's still accessible. You know, what's not to like? The other thing on the horizon that might be its downfall is just it splintering into a million parts. Yeah, I've got. I mean, I've got opinions about that too. That's why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you you can you can just choose your version and and, and you're good, right? Just because it's splinter doesn't mean you have to deal with that. Um, the the splintering for for a user from a general general user perspective has been phenomenally um, good, because you think, oh no, I have to look at all these versions, not to compare. The fact is. You know, look at something like GGI. In, in, it came to extend like I don't know, five years ago, right? And an OpenFoam main branch didn't have it. And now it does. Now it's got AMI. Now, you have to ask yourself, would OpenFoam have had an AMI, something as useful as an AMI, if it didn't appear and extend? You know, we, we built a lot of code, a lot of systems um, at Icon um, for VW. VW took that code and gave it to OpenCFT after, um, you know, Icon... Uh, wasn't at VW anymore, and so all that stuff has gone in there, you know, and and that kind of um, competition, let's say, between different versions, between different uh, suppliers, uh, drives a lot of innovation, you know. Is so so you've got people doing stuff all over the place, and the best the best stuff gets duplicated, gets copied. So from a from a user perspective, um, you know, people might want to have a unified open foam, um, you know, on a uh, because it sounds like a nice idea and it would be more uh, constructive. But um, if you look at uh, evolving systems, they evolve better and more effective uh, or, or uh, more, let's say, robust solutions if there is competition. Um, and you know, from a from a user perspective, I don't think there's a there's been a better time to be into open firm. There's just so much um, you know, new things coming along all the time because of this competition. Um, I don't. I don't think you can you can be too critical of. It. I mean, it's it's a pity, but it also has a definite upsides. Yeah, I like that perspective. Um, in case in case anybody's scratching their head and wondering, AMI is what arbitrary mesh interface. It's like sliding mesh, that sort of thing. Yeah, for sliding meshes, you know, coupling, uh, uh, conjugate heat transfer, to solids and fluids. Yeah, so there's there's a myriad of applications for it. It's just you know. Uh, 
it's a very flexible technology and it really extends what you can do. Uh, you know, things like baffles, coupling thermal baffles from one side to the other. This, this is loads of stuff. It's, it's great. Absolutely. Um, we mentioned earlier that you guys kind of started out more on the uh, the consulting side. You definitely push in hard into products now. Can you give us an idea of what kind of products you do and sort of how they came about? All right. So um, we have two main products, uh, Helix, um, which is a general kind of general purpose CFD tool. Um, and then we have Elements, which is the, the vertical for um, automotive application. So I'll, I'll just f- focus on, on Helix for the time being, because um, I think you've got a, a question later on about the verticals. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, we, we started off, as, as I said, working on, on services mostly. We had some, uh, got some good EU projects, which really gave us a boost. Um, and, and when we got that infusion of cash, we said, how can we best invest this? And uh, we, we'd been part of the development of a GUI, which was a bit of a, a mess um, at Icon, and so you know, we knew where we wanted to go and what what mistakes we didn't want to repeat. And um, you know, we we got a good um, team together in Italy, and, and that's really where things started. And um, you know, we had this vision to have this really easy to use uh, but powerful um, uh, GUI, um, you know, and, and um, that's really the what distinguishes this particular product. Of course, we've got support on top of that we've got our um our own custom developments in the kernel we've got documentation and stuff but uh, helix uh, the gui was uh, you know, a long long process and it was uh, um, a very difficult process as well i think you think you, you see people putting together guis um you know here and there and i mean they, they they're functional they do what they will but ensuring quality in, in the context of a gui where there is this disconnect between the team that are building that gui and the team that are building the core um, you know, just so many ways for bugs and problems to slip in, um, and that's that's been our main challenge really is to get that uh, that platform robust and uh, you know, being able to deal with the you know the flexibility that OpenFoam offers, you know, um, uh, and being to read OpenFoam cases and and so on. But yeah, I think we're we're well on our way to getting there. So I've spoken to a few businesses or, or founders and what have you who've, who've got a business based around an open source product and there seem to be a few various ways of, of constructing your business around that that product which is essentially free and we see people who give it all away for free but then make their money on the back end with custom development and support, training, that sort of thing. Um, you've got people kind of giving most of it away for free and then having a pro version that's kind of a paid upgrade, that sort of thing. And then you get some people who kind of silo the the open source bits within a kind of core product and then build commercial tooling around that. And you can do obviously what you like with that. That's proprietary. Where do you fall on that kind of spectrum? Somewhere between everything. I think we've we've looked, um, when we looked at how do we want to uh, you know, monetize, how do we want to generate revenue, um, from a product in this context, our, our role model really was Red Hat, right? So um, I don't know if you're familiar with how they their business works. I'm not familiar with how it works, but I know it makes a heck of a lot of money. Yeah, well, that that was the kind of the <laughs> one of the big motivating factors. So they have they have um, obviously they have a Linux kernel which they distribute and opens the core the the, the code is available for that. Most of their code um, along with it is also open source, and you can get that as well. In fact, you can get hold of um, what is it called? CentOS. CentOS, right. So that's just Red Hat with a different brand. So the only way in which Red Hat is different from CentOS is the Red Hat trademarks, basically. Right. So the trademarked uh, names and so on. Uh, and yet Red Hat still seems to make 
you know, I say uh, quite a lot of money. So that's basically the way we're looking at it. So we're saying, okay, um, you know, we're going to provide a uh, some functionality. It's largely open source, but there we do have the uh, proprietary um, GUI aspect. Um, however, we also give away for free an open source version of that GUI. So uh, you know, we we cover we have the pro version plus the um, the open source, but and and we provide. Um, in the context of our product, then we provide a, a subscription that you, you pay a subscription every year. You get upgrades. Um, you get access to support. You get um, access to the GUI, which is uh, a floating license and you know, documentation and so on. So that basically you know, explains how. So we're not selling a GUI. We're not selling support. We're just selling uh, you know, this kind of holistic product that covers tries covering all the angles that um, a user might uh, run into, all the problems they might run into during general use of the tool do people kind of get their feet wet in the free version and then jump into a subscription or is it the people who are using the free version tend to never end up being subscribers not many i mean the but it, it does happen so you know i think the free version is great from a branding perspective people know who we are because they, they've heard of helix os so they've used it some people um, have used it and they want to get a better version that does happen um, but most of our customers just come from word of mouth you know, it's just people talking to other people and um, recommending us. And so that's our main, our, our main engagement. That's always nice when that happens, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's, that kind of validates your whole approach, you know, when uh, people actually uh, do your marketing for you. It's, it's great. We have some great customers. You mentioned earlier that you've got a, a sort of second product element, kind of vertical app, if that's what we call in these things. And that's kind of aimed at automotive. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, that's um, automotive OEMs and you know, people who do a lot of aerodynamics, basically. So how did that one come about? Well, that's, well, that's a bit of a different story. So, I mean, we had the expertise having worked with the Volkswagen Group previously, right? So um, we'd built, we've built the mesh generator. We'd, we'd um, set up the, the solvers and, and the configuration systems and so on. Um, uh, and we had you know, a few customers in the space, but we didn't have any ambitions to create a you know, a vertical app at that point. We had our hands full, really, with just building Helix as it was. Um, and then a company called ARC Auto Research Center in the U US, um, they came to us and they said, yeah, uh, we've got a wind tunnel. Um, but we'd like to have, you know, build this product. What, how, how, how about it? So they, they kind of um, provided some of the funding and impetus behind it. They provided the experimental data and testing. Um, you know, and we, we created a joint venture company together um, to... to um, yeah, own the IP that came out of the collaboration, and, and that's that's elements. That's so their contacts really helped in, in in you know getting customers for the product, and uh, their the fact that they have the wind tunnel and we can do the validation, and you know you can write papers and show how good the product is. That's really was um, key in, in in getting it uh, accepted. So if people haven't seen it, it kind of templatizes some of the common elements that you'd have in a oh elements a bit, bit of a pun there um, that uh, you might you might have in an automotive simulation. Yeah, yeah. it's about consistency. You know, when when you're doing these kind of simulations, that you literally do hundreds and hundreds of them, and they're big simulations. Each one takes you know twenty four to forty eight hours on on five hundred cores. So you don't want to come back and 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 say okay, it's it's failed because I forgot a semicolon or I, you know. I, oh, that never happened. Surely <laughs> I put the wheel in me and the you know uh, and the rest of the car in millimeters uh, it's 
it's, it's, it's preventing those things, but also yeah. um, it also provides a platform for people to encode their best practices, really. So, uh, you know, while we, we ship with our best practices, almost every OEM, they have their own ideas. They look at what we do and then they tweak it. <laughs> I mean, that, um, and, and so both in Helix and in Elements, really, we, we, we still to keep that element of tweaking, um, if you know what I mean. We try to keep that available to, to the end user because I, I think no matter what you do, they're going to do it. So you might as well make it easier for them um, to tweak. I think it's uh, it's kind of a, it's one of the greatest features of open phone. I was wondering, we're starting to see in the industry, we're starting to see more of these vertical apps from a, an external point of view. It, it looks like they are a bit of a headache for people to, to build because you've got all the, the, expertise of building the software and things like that but you might not necessarily have the domain expertise of this particular vertical that you want to go in i mean in this case you partnered up with arc so you know you've got domain expertise coming out your ears but if you wanted to build a a marine one for example you'd probably have to partner up with somebody else or 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 whatever It, it doesn't seem like it's a sort of scalable thing to be building loads and loads of these vertical apps i'm i'm just wondering if if that is just yeah. my perspective, or if that's if that's how it is on the inside? Yeah, I mean it's it's hard um, to build an app for every um, for every kind of applicable. Um, okay. But you know what I mean. Uh, so, but what we do, you know, there's there's different approaches. So, um, elements is one extreme, right? So then we have we do have a marine um, uh, app, but it's not. Um, its own GUI. It's just a part of Helix. It's a, we have a partnership with some uh, universities where they provide, uh, let's say, the solvers, um, and we, we couple them to the GUI. Um, and if you you purchase that module, um, part of the money goes to the developers of the core. So um, that's sorry, that was Kevin Mackey at the University of uh, Michigan. Um, so so he he does um, he does our core development for Marine. For example, so we don't have a different GUI there. We just have a um, integration with Helix, um, and you just go through a specific set of steps. But you still have to buy Helix to access um, the Marine module. So that's one way of doing it. It's not a vertical, really. It's just a you know a specialization of uh, Helix in itself. I mean, it, it gives us a way to engage with external contributors because you know that's the thing is this this um, application um, expertise, this, this this particular field expertise is. You can't do without it, and I think that's one of the biggest um, problems with open foam in general is that the the whole solver, the whole code, has been built by people who are generalists, you know, um, not by people who are experts in marine or people who are experts in um, combustion. Well, Henry is an expert in combustion, so maybe that does count. But <laughs> um, you know, so you know what I mean. So there, there, are, there are people who study their whole lives just doing numerical schemes. None of the developers of open foam are those experts. Um, so I, I think by engaging with experts like these and, and giving them some um, revenue out of the out of the deal, you can get a lot of value into the system that way. But going back to elements, um, you know, building a whole app, oof, I, I wouldn't do it again. I mean, the, building uh, an app like that, because it's not an app framework, it's a it's independent app. Building an app is, is really expensive. Your, your quality assurance is just the same amount of quality assurance as you have for a, a simpler or a more general interface. But because the applications themselves are huge, so the, running a car with 150 million cells takes a long time, testing 
takes a long time. Okay, you have less things to test, but it's still as expensive. Um, and you have a relatively small target market compared to the overall target market. Um, you, know, you have to evolve all the time. Um, you have to have a lot of expertise, as you mentioned. You know, and um, uh, I just think if it's easy to build a vertical app, then it's probably not worth building a vertical app. So um, you know, I think there is a market for it, but it's the, the market is where things are really hard. And a vertical app is really critical to, to be able to do anything. You know, if you do combustion engines or something, that's probably a good place to have a vertical app. Yeah, so it sounds like although there's a lot more of these vertical apps about, there's always going to be some industries or some segments that are going to be underserved by that model because it's just not profitable for anybody to put one together for them. Right, that's that's the thing. You have to look at the economics and, and uh, you know, make sure that you can actually get a decent return in that context. Uh, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it's not. Uh, you're just not going to create an uh, app to do I don't know HVAC and then everybody's going to buy it. It's it has to add a lot of value. The app has to add a lot of value versus the general tool um, for it to become attractive to the end user. I think. So no more vertical app-like elements from you guys. What what is next? What's next? Well, I mean, we we have a we have a lot to do just to polish off what we have. Um, you know, we we have a, a you know a lot of um, goals in terms of functionality. Um, specifically, if you you talk you talk to the clients and they say, okay, we want to be able to do this. We can do this in CCM plus. We want to do it in Helix. So that that kind of stuff happens all the time. So we have we have um, I think something like 300 tickets in our uh, in our development um f- just for the core you know and nearly finished then <laughs> no no they keep on growing <laughs> it doesn't get smaller it gets bigger um but but yeah so that that for the time being that's that's where we want to focus it's just uh, you know uh, polishing some of the rough edges off and and extending functionality into um our, our biggest markets like built environment and automotive um beyond that you know there's there's a lot of scope in terms of uh, the gui for extensions to post-processing, pre-processing, and so on, um, optimization, um, you know, automatic workflows, and so on. So <laughs> we've got, you know, there's, there's too many ideas and too little time. So you know, it's, it's really just a juggling the resources we do have and prioritizing the things we think will get the best, um, you get the best value um, for the end user. I was talking to one of the other podcast guests and the thing he said that kept him interested in this after doing it for 25 years is just that it's never done. It's always something, <laughs> something's changing. Uh, the posts have moved and you never catch up. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't... Uh, I think it's really... Di- CFD is difficult. Um, and I was just talking to some of my colleagues downstairs this morning and I said, you know, the reason why we're doing it is because it's difficult. Why we're doing this. And we could be doing anything else. We could be in banking. You know, we could be, <laughs> we could be making probably a lot more money doing something else. But uh, CFD is hard and uh, and solving hard problems is really is a reward in itself almost. And, uh, you know, we, we keep coming up with more more problems. So, yeah, we'll be busy for a few generations yet, I think. Yeah, that one used to keep coming up over here. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. If somebody wants to come and check out Helix... Hit the website. Yeah, yeah. You can if you go to the product page. There's uh, you can do a free demo. Um, you can request a demo. Depending on how full the servers are, it might take a while to get actual access, but you'll get it. Um, yeah, and the, the website's got a lot of content. There's some blogs around, um, videos on YouTube. So there's loads of stuff um, you can look at to to find out more about Engis and Helix. And um, yeah, if if that's not enough, give me a call or send me an email and. Uh, um, we'll be happy to talk. I'll put some links in the show notes. So uh, if you are listening and you're interested, you won't have to travel far to go and uh, find it. Thanks for your time, Eugene. Yeah, it's been it's been it's been fun, Robert. So it's, uh, cool. Yeah.